The Missing Witches Project is entirely listener supported and listener, we want you to join us. Do you want to be part of a community that helps make public research into marginalized ideas? Do you want to join in interviews with all these magical people and meet other anti-racist, trans-inclusive, neuroqueer, feminist practitioners of different kinds from all over the world in our monthly circles? Or are you maybe just down to send a little money magic towards these stories and ideas and the causes we support? Anyway, either way, check out missingwitches.com to learn more about us. And please know, we've been missing you. And one last thing before we start. The stories we tell require a general content warning. It's just a fact of this terrain of interrogating what is missing. We promise to hold those moments with care. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Missing Witches podcast. I am super thrilled and exuberant and excited and joyful to be sitting down with Vandana Boucher, who I, before I let you speak, Vandana, I just want to read a little bit of your bio from your website, because I, I like fell in love with you just reading this paragraph. So I want everyone else to have that same falling in love moment. So uh, Mandana is a Iranian American community herbalist, storyteller, land tender, and a joyous member of the mycelial network of liberatory creators and lovers. She is a co-founder and educator at Wild Gather School of Herbal Studies, where she has a, the deep pleasure of sharing her love and experiences in plant medicine and community care. We throw the word love around a lot around here. <laughs> but I love that you put this love into your bio. Can you maybe like expand on that introduction and tell us about this like deep love and pleasure that infuses your work? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, hey, boo. <laughs> Um, so sweet to be here with y'all yes. and on under such wild skies we're cruising with a lunar eclipse right now so really feeling just like wanting to to take that pause and just slow down and I'm happy to be hiding out with you all here in in the halls of zoom so that's super sweet and yeah I mean I feel like so much of my instructions here is to figure out how to just lead with love. I'm always examining and figuring out bigger and bolder ways to do that. And, um, you know, I am a person that was born into a lot of different inherited traumas and um, at a very young age had to find my way. And while I was immersed with a lot of love and loving potions and loving family, there was also other things at play. And um, yeah, I feel like a lot of my homework in this lifetime is to is to love myself and find love in myself and find love in in it. So yeah, love is love and thank goodness for love. And they're such a great teacher. Yeah. And how do plants help you love yourself? Oof. All the time. I feel like plants are Plants are like our therapists and elders and guides and teachers and lovers and friends. Um, and so, of course, that's like such a special playground to get to, to love into, you know, just the aspect of loving plants, I feel like is just um, such a great way to orient towards who I am, what I'm speaking about, what I'm working towards. And, you know, I don't take it for granted. And I also don't, I try not to bring too much expectation to it. Right. Cause it's just like plants are so much like humans and humans are so much like plants um, and plants carry trauma and plants carry gifts and they carry story and you know, so much like our own growing here in this lifetime, sometimes we're able to, have a full bloom experience in this lifetime. Sometimes we 
bloom despite the odds. Sometimes we get stunted um, and plants are very much like that too. So I feel like it's a, it's like going to a dear friend and just talking about your day and having your experiences and getting to have them reflect back their wisdom. Cause in, in a lot of ways they are, are our elders, you know? So I'm just a kid playing in the garden. You said, you said this on the smoke break podcast and we'll, we'll talk about that too, because, oh my goodness, it's so much fun. Um, but it's also on your website every petal is an ancestor. I mean, that's kind of what you were already talking about, but can you expand on this poetic notion of a petal being an ancestor? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think about economies a lot and this idea of inheritance. And I think in the world that we have sort of inherited, inheritance is look like money and it looks like you know it's a very novel idea it's something we are like hey we're gonna put all of our our hopes and dreams into this like coin basket um but it's it's such a new idea and i really truly feel like our cultural inheritances are you know they are they've been around for time immemorial way before we started to put everything into like money and that value and so we get to inherit our our cultural stories and in that are our plant ancestors and the plants that are a part of our cultural landscapes and so you know when i go out and meet and convene with the roses in june it's like sitting with thousands of my ancestors and it's like such a profound moment to kind of be brought to like the the knees of my heart because it really feels that powerful um and it shows me that our cultural inheritances, they need to be tended or they can be forgotten. They're living things. It's not like, oh, I've inherited this house. You know, inheriting the stories, inheriting the recipes, inheriting the plants of our homes um, and their stories, it's, it's something that needs to be tended. And so, yeah, every petal feels like an ancestor and a story to explore and a trauma to heal and a laugh to be had. So you're, you're taking these ancestors and then you're putting your own stories into them when you do these things too, right? Like you're ex expanding the, the story of a petal and bringing it to a healing place. As a real ass bitch in 2022. So it's like, <laughs> while... <laughs> While I carry like, yeah, my ancestors' uh, ancient swag, I'm also very much living in the realms of this lifetime um, and my life experience. And that's, you know, I live in diaspora. So there's definitely threads that are shared and then places where the thread has frayed. And I also feel like I very much live in, in that sort of ecosystem for sure. Yeah. And so was there a point in your childhood or in your adulthood that made you focus on plants? Like what, what sparked this great love affair? Oh my God, baby. I feel like I was born into it. Irani, like people from Iran are like so in love with plants. They like long ago were like, yes, we're seduced by you and we're not going to like pivot away from that. So even under the like circumstances of the country now in the state that it's in it's like there's still such a love and passion and there, there was never like a, a stepping away from plants and so in my culture you know iran is a very diverse landscape but in in my family on my maternal side there's this tradition um that people in yazd do with their babies and so when they're born um Shortly after birth, you put the babies in a cloth with all of these flowers and particularly flowers that have a lot of pollen. And you sort of like shake the baby like they're like a little beignet that just popped out and you're like putting powdered sugar on them and you shake them in the pollen. And, you know, my mom went through this birth ritual. I went through this birth ritual. My child went through this birth ritual. And, you know, you can look at this like timeline of my ancestors. And this is a tradition that's been passed down for quite a while. And it sounds so poetic and sexy and like so seductive, but it's really for a really practical reason. It's like they believe and we believe that um, it will help you not have allergies. If you kind of hit the baby really early on with like 
boom, like, look at all this, like, sex juice, essentially, because that's really what pollen's about. And then you're enchanted. And so I feel like I fell in love as a baby um, in that first ritual and also feel like, you know, I also am not allergic to anything, which is really wild pollen related. So it really, really does work. Um, and so that technology is um, a technology I'm really grateful to have and pass down. Um, and also I feel like it was the stirrings for my love of plants, but plants are just so infused in everything. Like growing up, I was just always like taken into this like lavender mist of aromas coming from the kitchen and saffron um, blooming and uh, rose woven into so much dessert. It's just everywhere growing up. And so I just feel like, how can you not um, be seduced? How can you not fall in love with plants when it's just like at the forefront of everything? I, I love this, this tradition. And we find this so much with, you know, witchcraft and magic that, um, there is like a practicality. It's sort of like, there's like a blanket of mysticism and like you say, sexy poetry and love, but ultimately it's a very, very practical spell. I'm using air quotes here. It's a very practical spell. And I think herbalism is very much that too. I mean, you can go, you specifically can go and, and harvest your rose petals to make your mead and just that the image of you, you know, and <laughs> gathering pink petals. And there's like a beautiful poetry to that. But then you take that and you do something real last. <laughs> you take that poetry and you take that magic and you do something real ass with it. Um, can you talk about that like healing aspect of, of taking it from poetry to real ass? <laughs> wow, I really love where this conversation is going. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> really did not expect this but <laughs> yeah I love this question I love this container to think about that um I feel like it's just always an inner dialogue I have because there's so many aspects of my living body and also my like cultural body and psychic body that feels very much just like in a Pisces puddle of just like so out there. Um, and then there's these parts of me that are just so deeply rooted. Like I, I'm a boo that loves talking about where the stars and constellations were when I was born into this world and plucked into purpose. And I have a lot of earth placements. So there's this kind of like inner dance of me kind of always um, uh, running from heaven to earth. And yeah, um, I don't really feel like I need to put a binary on those two places. I feel like whenever we're uh, casting seed and tending plants and um, fertilizing the earth and stewarding and being in a relationship, we are involved in ceremony and we're involved in prayer and we're involved in uh, all those spiritual aspects. And at the same time, we're also you know, knees to the earth and doing something really tangible um, and with a lot of just like grounded purpose. And then there are all the invisible parts that live within that whole dance too. And so I really feel like it's just something that feels very open-ended um, and feels flexible and that there isn't like a, a necessary like orientation to. And, um, and yeah, that's why I think I, I feel so in love with the practice of, yeah, getting to just like be with plants and, um, and make medicine and care for friends is that it's just so in touch with all that I desire out of this lifetime. You know, I really feel like we are here living in our midheaven and my questions are always like, how can I make that feel more holy? How can I make that feel more honey drenched? And working with plants is like my midheaven. I love that you use the word holy because when you said um, most most of us will use terms like uh, feet planted firmly on the ground or something like that. You said knees to the earth. That That's so holy sounding to me. It's like there's a humility to it. Um, putting our knees on the ground instead of our feet. 
um, whether we think of that as like, you know, this, this, um, this humble prayer, or we think of it as just getting as close to the ground as we possibly can. Oh, knees to the earth. I'm keeping, there are so many things that you've already said. In fact, knees being the, <laughs> the theme you said before it brought you to the, to the knees of your heart. I'm going to really focus on my knees <laughs> after we leave here today and, and think about them as like a holy, a holy body part. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm really just working a lot on themes in my own life of, yeah the knee image comes up because it's so much about humbling and um, presencing and humility. And I definitely feel like I'm in one of those moments in my own lifetime right now where I'm decomposing and we all are always decomposing and, you know, growing from that and seeding again. And, um, but I feel like I'm in an active, like composting moment. And yeah, a lot of that work is like coming to my knees in all the ways, you know, and how I'm thinking and how I'm communicating and how I'm living and, and just being open to sort of, yeah. What, what does it look like if I just commit to a con like always reshaping and, um, and that feels like a sweet spot right now. It's like, yeah, how can I, how can I just keep open to change? <laughs> Yeah. I think like our, our capitalist society is like, so growth, it's profiteering. It's so growth centered, like, you know, more, 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 more. And so a lot of people are like very deeply uncomfortable with this cyclical notion of growing and composting. Can you dive in a bit more to what a compost phase might look like and, and how our, our listeners and our coven can get comfortable with our own decomposition. Yeah. I mean, when I think about composting in my own personal experience right now, I live in, I live in um, the Mohican Tuck Valley in the Northern hemisphere. So right now we're in a season of composting it's autumn here. And when you walk out, when I walk outside my door, I smell, you know, leaves decaying. I smell the mix of, um, carbon and nitrogen dancing together and uh, moistness and hard frosts thawing with the sunlight and providing wetness for those processes to to continue on and when I think about the composts that I tend on like the physical land that I tend I think about all the plants in in just a season before in summer that were in bloom and multicolored and vigorous and so energetic and just like, you know, cackling with, with joy and just like that supreme time of high sun. Um, and they're in the compost right now. And so that essence is there. Um, but it's just in a different phase. And I love looking out in the landscape and seeing like the colors of this time, but also the skies of this time and the light being so in the middle of the sky and, and letting myself kind of be seduced by that because I am a person that when when summer comes to an end, there's a part of me that mourns that loss. Um, but I'm allowing myself to be seduced in it because in my composting moment right now, I feel like it's so much uh, about repatterning and sort of like how I'm naming it with friends that I chat about with it. It's like a physical and spiritual growth spurt. Um, and so compost, it's, there's no end to it. It's cyclical. And, um, and I like that. I like having no expectations in how my compost will turn out. Um, but I know that it will be more fertile if I just like allow myself to turn the fork, you know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's something that, I mean, outside of gardeners and farmers that we don't talk about a lot, but when we're talking metaphorically about being compost is the heat that it generates. And again, we can, we can be real ass about this or we can be, you know, um, poetic, um, figurative about it, but there's something about this, again, not, not the mortal death, but the death of uh, habit 
that can that can really generate a heat within us but we're always so busy like got to do this and got to do that and build and that we don't even recognize that we can generate heat by going into darkness yeah 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 we're just we're just poetizing here now so let's let's come to um wild gather and I wanted to talk about another real ass bitch. You call Lauren, who's your your partner, your destiny sibling. I want to know, and I'm sure that all of our listeners want to know, if we don't have a destiny sibling, how do we find them? And then we'll get into like, what is Wild Gather and and what do you do? But first I want to know, like, where do we get our destiny siblings? Do you have any advice? Well, my, like, first off, let's just go straight into prayer. Like my deepest prayer is that everyone is like either finding or on their way to their destiny sibling in this lifetime. Um, But I do feel like the destiny sibling, like for me, Lauren is just like my soul, my soul life, my soulmate, one of my deepest loves and partners. And I really, I really believe in uh, the power of friendship and the intimacy of friendship and allowing myself to like love in all of those ways. And yeah, Lauren to me is like the kind of person where it's like, oh, we've been writing for galaxies. We've been writing for centuries. Like we were definitely kicking it together in like fucking, you know, before Christ times. Um, but in this lifetime, it's like, you know, when you just find that person, like literally where I found Lauren was we were at this herb gathering and you know in the herbal kind of community there can be this like purity thing that comes in where it's like you know people don't people don't drink coffee they drink herb tea only or you know there's this binary of like what it looks like to be an herbalist or you know you know even around how you express yourself with how you dress or in all these like really weird ways and I met Lauren because we were the two bitches that were like I was like out in the dark corners of the forests and fields, like having a smoke break. And I was also the hoe that brought like a coffee maker and coffee and everyone was all like, Oh, I'm just going to drink herb tea. But you know, every time I went to that coffee pot, it was empty. So people were imbibing and we just fell in love in front of the coffee pot and like out in the cut, like smoking together. And, um, And the way that we come to plants and the way that we come to our practice and the way that we come to how we, you know, move, walk, talk, love in the world, we share so many similarities. Like we both have Venus and Capricorn. We both have like so many earth placements. Um, So it feels great to have like a real ass bitch who has feelings and loves me in this lifetime. Uh, Can you tell us about like what, what y'all do? Oh yeah. What it, like what is what is wild gather? No, we we did the important part first and now yeah. we're getting into that. <laughs> well, obviously I'm really bad about um capitalism or like yeah. again naming what I do in the language of the world. Um we do so many things together. Our relationship is, you know, the heart mycelium of our work is how we name it is plants. Um, and so that looks like knowledge shares and programs. Um, you know, we were just writing in pandemic times and are still in pandemic times. So we've been, um, doing a lot more virtual things, which has been really sweet because we get to connect with people in different timelines and landscapes. Um, we also have a podcast together that's called smoke break and um that's really really sweet because it's just literally us hanging out on the phone and just like a window into um yeah like our little destiny sibling lifestyle um and yeah we're always dreaming and scheming on how to tend our baby and what it's going to look like and uh right now is kind of the time where we are thinking about 2023 and um yeah how we're gonna how we're going to come together, how we're going to convene. So it feels exciting to put some love into it and um, take a pause moment and just like a savoring moment of, yeah, the school is coming into its 10th year and so many amazing folks have come through and are doing such incredible work in the world and have been. And it's so great to just like get to build this community through this container. You know, I've I've made such dear friends through Wild Gather. I've learned so much 
from the people who come and shape it with us. And so it's so sweet. I want to read something from the website and then maybe you can react to it or expand on it. This is from the Wild Gather. It's just wildgather.com. If uh, you who are listening right now <laughs> want to put a bookmark on that, of course, we'll put all of those links in the show notes. But in the meantime, this is from a little section called Resiliency for Everyday Moments. So um, again, this is from the Wild Gather website. Waking up in cis white patriarchal capitalist dominated culture is hard as hell. The effects on our bodies, thought processes, spirits, and ways we connect to one another are real and ever present. We need resiliency for our everyday movements so that we can stand powerful in our collective ones. Adaptogenetic herbs, plant spirit medicine, spell casting, and medicine making are tools for self-preservation, potency, and community wellness. Please expand. <laughs> well, that little memory is from a snippet in Wild Gather's lifetime that was called Dawning into 2016. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of stank on that because it was so in line um, with, you know, what was happening in our political landscape. And we're very much living in sort of the aftermath of a lot of that impact right now. Um, you know, today is the lunar eclipse. It's also election day. So Yes, for those of you who have blocked it out, 2016 was when Trump was elected president of the United States. <laughs> so carry on. Yeah. yeah, so that was a moment of like, oh, fuck, like uh, we have a community that is scared and grieving and we are a part of that community. And there was so much on the ground organizing that was happening at that time that was just like when I think back to that time it, it's that sort of like traumatized like I'm trauma bonded to it for all of the pieces that I feel like were seated in that time but there it was also it feels like very blurry and like I'm like am I really did I really live through that it was also very in my personal life a really intense time because it was like my child was uh very young and I was taking care of my mom who was passing and there was just a lot of intensity happening in that moment um but yeah you know our sort of response to that was like we have to care for ourselves we have to care for our community we have to um really recommit to our agency and our choice to have sovereignty when it comes to our bodies and how we take care when it comes to the food and water we drink when it comes to how we relate as a culture um, um and how we act and move as a culture so yeah that was sort of a response to the movements that were sort of having that moment of burnout of like, how are we going to get through the next four years? How have we gotten through the past 400? Um, and now it's so interesting to be at this point in time where it's election day and um, our country is in the state that it's in. And I'm very much also looking like, I'm not just in the framework of like having my feet here planted on Turtle Island, my feet also live in my homelands. And I feel like that's a part of diaspora. And so I'm very much also with the movement that's happening in my homelands. And there's a revolution that is, um, has been ignited. And it's a revolution that really speaks to the sort of like utopic longing that I always have of, what would it look like if the people who were painting our lived experience landscape right now were the birth keepers and the water tenders and the poets and the midwives and the healers and, you know, all, all painted by the dancers and the singers and that's happening right now in Iran, you know, um, the movement is united around uh, women, life, and freedom. And it's a revolution that is led by women and non-binary folks and queer folks and trans folks. And it's decentralized. There's no leader. It's just people being united. Um, and the way that they are uh, protesting on the streets and the way that the revolution looks is it's rooted in love. It's rooted in 
dance. It's rooted in poetry. Um, it's rooted in singing. Like it's rooted in art. It's gut wrenching and heartbreaking to see how many lives have been lost. And, you know, just the other day, they are like, you know, thousands of protesters have been arrested and they were just, they just got announced that they're going to like be killed. Um, and this is happening and people still go out on the streets and they meet the revolutionary guards with, with poetry, with defiance, with cutting of their hair, with, with so much power. And so it's amazing to say, as we take breath right now, that's happening. It's evening there and they're on the streets and people are dying. And I think about our democracy here and that it's election day and that not too long ago, there was a movement that was a revolution that was literally a bunch of white men with every sort of rifle and gun and ammunition and protection and gear they could muster. And that's what revolution looks like in this country right now. So how do we bring, how do we bring, how do we orient our North Star around a revolution that's rooted in poetry, in love, in freedom, um, in justice, in, in all of that idea of who holds the paintbrush. And it's fucking time for the paintbrush to be passed on. It is fucking time. And I, I mean, I've been thinking about this notion of the, the guidance patrol, which is basically, you know, the, the, in, the enforcement gang that, that took Masa Amini. And I, I love your sort of uh, we are capable of creating a new form of guidance patrol that is, you know, that is poetry, that is dance, that is freedom. What would your guidance patrol look like if you were the ruler of the world? Well, I don't want to be the ruler of the world, one. <laughs> <laughs> no, and... I think nobody who wants the job <laughs> should have it. <laughs> nobody who wants that job should have That job on in this lifetime. And I also, yeah, I feel like that's what's so beautiful about the revolution in Iran is it's totally decentralized. And, you know, I think in our culture, we're so afraid when there isn't like a leader, but really the leader is the many. And it's like seeing that, in real time and seeing this blueprint is, is really extremely powerful. Um, and yeah, patrol, I'm like, I'm that bitch that's like, I don't want anyone to be policed. I'm just <laughs> like, you know, what does it look like when we just really allow ourselves to be exactly who we are um, and to love each other for that? And, um, and yeah, so yeah, I feel like that's, that's what I'm always trying to fight for. That's what I'm always working towards. Um, and that's what I'm always trying to do for myself in this lifetime. Like I want to just be who I am and, and in all the ways that I am, there are parts of me that, you know, prefer to be in my hidden life and really just like honoring that. Um, there are parts of me that feel very like much the five-year-old me who was afraid and scared and felt like a little furry creature. I want that part to be able to come out. You know, I love talking to my like um, pretend friends because it's just like, yeah, I want to believe and commit to just allow myself to be exactly who I am. And I feel like we, if we allow that in our culture and our small micro communities, then that's just Tinder for that, that to just take off. And Iran is very much, um, a place where people are fighting for that. Uh, you wrote a book, Tick Magic. Um, you call it a zine. It looks like a book to me. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. But what? at first I was like, oh, that, that's an interesting topic. And then I saw that you had Lyme disease. And so to me, I'm seeing this as like you taking your pain, your suffering, your illness, and really grabbing it and using it as a tool to dig in and help other people. That's my interpretation of what Tick Magic is. Can you tell me from your own perspective, like why, why it became a zine book? Well, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to go back to this and just everything you just said. I'm like, okay, that's like my new bio, but um yeah, I feel like so much of my work in this lifetime, what I came here to do is just like through my own healing and through my own figuring out my shit, both um, inherited and what I 
what I live with in my body in this lifetime is about figuring it out for myself and then just sharing in a consensual way, um, in a way that feels like an invitation to others, like, yeah, the story and what worked and what didn't, and just trying to be as like deeply rooted, um, in, in that being real to how it, it happened for me, because I feel like with Lyme disease, um, there's a lot of shame around Lyme disease. A lot of people don't even say they, they suffer from chronic Lyme disease or have had a co-infection or a tick-related illness because there's still this sort of like myth in the Western like medicine system that it, you know, doesn't exist. And, um, so I feel like a lot of people aren't fully seen when they say that, like they have been sick, um, and though my experience was I was literally in the hospital and I got a diagnosis from a doctor that through the Western Inklot said I was positive for Lyme, which doesn't happen for everybody, I still felt like um, there was a time where I felt like, yeah, some of those pieces of my illness, like I keep private. And I, to this day, I don't lead with like, you know, I have hypothyroidism or I have chronic fatigue syndrome or I have chronic Lyme. I kind of keep that quiet in a part of my hidden life. And Tick Magic was sort of a window for me to share a little bit of like, yeah, what it looks like to navigate chronic illness in my body and in my experience. Um, and I very much, it's not something I put on other folks. It's really just like, hey, here's a portal into what my experience was like. And if some parts of this resonate, great. Um, and it's really more a book around like preventative care um, because when I was really sick in bed healing, uh, I just kept thinking about so many of the like spiritual and energetic uh, relationships with ticks and our ecosystem and how it's changing with climate crisis and how that's also so connected to ticks and their population. Um, and also, yeah, this like bigger inquiry on like this silent um, epidemic that is like very present here in the Mohican Tuck Valley, but also all over Turtle Island. Um, and yeah, so it felt it felt really profound to get to sort of share my tricks and tools and experience. And yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, it's on your Etsy shop, which is Flower Binch. That's not bitch, binch, B-I-N-C-H, Flower Binch. So I, I would recommend, because the thing is, I think like we have become so alienated from nature and it almost felt like tick panic was just like another way to keep us out of the forests and another way to keep us out of the tall grasses. So even you who, you know, was was bit, um, you're you created this thing that's like you don't need to be afraid of these spaces you just have to like ground yourself assess where you're at and so on but I do have to ask did you said you have hypothyroidism yeah yeah I have hypothyroidism so I'm going to center myself for a second and ask for uh <laughs> like a, a consultation while I have you here like what are your top um herbs or plants that you have found helped you in your hypothyroidism journey? Yeah. So quickly, just to give context, because I feel like context is very important. Thank um, you. Uh, so I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism when I was 18 years old. And it, I grew up eating a very traditional, like a, a Persian uh, diet. And when I became a teenager and was like out with the friends, riding in the cars, getting into all the shit, like I started to just like rebel. And I like, that was like when I just went super hard with like American culture, like hanging out in Dunkin' Donut parking lots, like, you know, drinking Dr. Pepper. And immediately my body just was just like, nope. And they were like, we're shutting this down. And it was really, truly because no one in my lineage had steered away from eating a traditional Iranian diet. And I was sort of this like um, experiment of like, this is what it looks like with epigenetics when you don't have, um, you know, a few generations of eating um, more of like that Western diet. And so when I went to the doctor, you know, they basically were just like, there's nothing you can really do. You can take this pill and then literally eventually you might end up having Hashimoto's because it's just like, um, it's a very hard, 
thing to treat. And at that point in my journey and in my life, I was starting to like travel and um, really heeding the call of wanting to explore and work with plants. And so when in my like late teens and early twenties, I was traveling around um, in very like non-traditional ways, um, majority like in Turtle Island landscape. And I was meeting all these healers and herbalists and folk tradition plant stewards um, who would just send me off to like another place and uh, homestead to go to and learn from. And in sort of that exploration, I started to uh, work with plants to uh, treat my uh, hypothyroidism. And I healed that shit in terms of um, I, my like TSH numbers are normal and have been normal since I was like 24, 25. Um, and so every year, you know, I get my blood checked twice just to see where it's at and just to keep up on that. Cause I really love a balance of like, um, non-traditional ways of healing and medicine and knowing, but also like having a lot of respect for, um, the modern medical system for the gifts that it has, like checking my blood and reading that story for me and translating that for me. Um, but in the deeps, in like the deep sort of journey of my healing, I really relied on seaweed medicine. Um, also obviously pulling away all of those, um, Western, foods that I was going really hard on, which was, you know, high fructose corn syrup, sugar, processed foods, um, you know, all the NAR that we know exists, which I'm not against. Like to this day, if I get a like hungering for Coca-Cola, I'm like, I will have it. I will take it. Coca-Cola is also medicine. There's a lot of cultures that when you're like dehydrated or um, have a headache, Coca-Cola with lime is like the cure. So I'm not a purist when it comes to that stuff. But when I was deep in the, like, I really want to focus on my healing and work through this, I cut all that stuff out. I was doing no sugar. I was doing a lot of, um, seaweed broths that were infused with, um, dandelion and, uh, burdock and, really sort of loving up on my whole metabolic system and my organs and, you know, within a few years of focusing on that, like diet wise, lifestyle wise, incorporating herbs, my TSH really balanced out. I love your balance of traditional and non-traditional, how you'll be like, I'm making this, you know, tincture, but also I'm listening to Madonna's holiday while I do it. <laughs> I do want to come back because you sort of talked about this, like food as medicine. Um, This is from your web website too. You said, uh, wrote, I remember as a child, when I'd come down with a cold, my mother would infuse sheep's milk with loads of garlic, white onion and honey. Taking our medicine in a food-like way can take away the fear and apprehension around taking medicine, which inevitably shapes how we take care of ourselves. Please expand. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we think about medicine in the Western culture and lens in the very like traditional modern way that it has sort of been operating as, um, I think a lot of people see a pill bottle or they see like the cherry cough syrup, like the codeine like syrup. Um, and it very much looks like these pills that come in different colors that don't have names that are really hard to like connect to and recognize and say, oh, like this taste reminds me of fennel or, you know, this really looks like a rose petal. Um, and I think when when it's given to us in that way, there's a deep part of ourselves and our, our beings and our spirits that really don't connect with it. Um, also the fact that it usually tastes like shit and, um, feels otherly is really scary. Like as a kid, I feel like, you know, I grew up in a household where I didn't have health insurance as a kid. I had a single mother. My mom was, 
you know, a refugee and like my family came here as refugees. So we didn't go to the doctor's office. Like the only time I would go if there was like a serious emergency. And so I was a kid that because of that didn't end up taking a lot of, um, antibiotics. Um, I never got like the chronic sinus infection that I feel like so many of my generation did, like so many of my peers don't have tonsils, but I think because I was not in that system, I, didn't have those encounters, not saying that they weren't necessary, but that was just my personal experience. And then I also think because my grandmother was an herbalist and a healer, and my mom inherited sort of that tradition of using soups and foods and herbs um, to support the body when it's not well, um, you know, I got to have these like really delicious medicines. And so my relationship to medicine is one of like, Ooh, excitement and joy, you know, and we have this one medicine it's called Nebat and it's basically like rock candy. Like it's, it's, it looks like rock candy and it's a sugar medicine that's infused with different herbs. Um, and the most classic common one is saffron. And so as a kid, when, I would get nauseous or I wasn't feeling well, or when I was a teenager and I was starting to bleed for the first time and had cramps, um, my mom would always give it to me in tea. And it, you know, for anyone who's ever tasted saffron, it's just heavenly. It's like ambrosia and it's so floral and intoxicating. And, you know, so when I think of medicine, I think of uh, cardamom, I think of saffron, I think of barberry, I think of turnips. Um, I think of that sheep's milk infused with garlic and honey, which for some people, they might be like, that shit sounds nasty, but there's something really special about it um, when it comes <laughs> together. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't sound any more nasty than like the, you know, factory syrups that we that we drink to, to accomplish the same goals, right? Not what, to me anyway. What's really interesting is that, you know, Cough syrup in the Western medical system is always cherry flavored, but out in nature, the wild cherry trees are also a cough medicine and you can harvest the bark in the spring and the fall and decoct it and make a syrup where you infuse it with sugar or honey or maple syrup or whatever your sweetener of choice is. And I preserve mine with brandy and it tastes just like wild cherry and it's really wonderful for spasmatic coughs. So coughs that are really dry and hoarse and kind of like the running engine that, you know, are relentless and you sometimes want to let them like slow down so you can rest. It's really great for those coughs where you can't sleep at night. So you're not getting the rest you need to get better. Um, it's definitely not for like the mucousy wet cough, um, because it has that anti-spasmatic quality, but there, you know, that union is there. It's just like, we need a bridge. Um, to sort of remember the tree that the medicine came from um, and how delicious it is and effective. Yeah. I, I want to open the floor to questions. I'm not sure if any of you have questions. So if you do, you can unmute yourself. And in the meantime, I want to take one more thing from your uh, website, Mandana. Um, it's a little excerpt um, from a Persian poet named Hafiz. Um, sometimes pronounced hafez. Anyway, stay close to anything that makes you glad you are alive. I feel like that so much like encompasses this like buoyant, joyful, exuberant, glad to be alive, real ass bitchness that you that you bring to herbalism, that you bring to you know your writing, that you bring to even like you design gardens as well, which we didn't get to. Um, how how do we do that? <laughs> well, that's like a whole like you know five yeah. week immersion where we all come together <laughs> like. You got any tips? I feel like I'm always trying to, you know, reimagine and learn what it feels like to embody my life and my body in this lifetime. I feel really fucking fortunate to be alive. It's a really fucking crazy time to be alive, but, um, you know, I try to just marvel at the tiny things. And I think when I was little, um, my mom gave me this book that was called how to have the most perfect day. And it follows this like little bear hag, um, living truly their best life. 
Um, it's like a Hallmark book. So one of those really tiny like pocketbooks and we would read it together often. And I really feel like it's seated in me this like, you know, fucking dedication to just trying to have the most perfect day. And it doesn't mean that like, yeah, bad shit's not going to happen. And it doesn't mean that right now, like in this moment, I have so much joy being here with you all thinking about these themes while also feeling really heavy in my heart. Um, that's a thousand miles away in Iran. Um, and so, yeah, being alive is dynamic. It's, um, it doesn't live within have nots and should nots. And, um, I'm always just sort of, yeah, trying to just savor it really like savoring it and just allowing it to feel voluptuous and, um, and allowing myself to be voluptuous in it, even if I'm crying. (laughs) I just want to keep talking to you for the rest of my life. So um, for our listeners who feel like me, um, what's the best way to reach out to you, get in touch with you, um, hear you speak, read your words, take your classes? So all the ways, all the ways. I do this like really cute newsletter that um, you can find through my website, which is just my name, London Boucher, And it's very ephemeral. It doesn't happen like every month. It just happens when I'm feeling it. And I just feel like it gets to be this like little love letter that I put in the virtual mailbox. Sometimes there's playlists, but it's always like musings and there's always some sort of, you know, plant moment recipe experience. Um, And then yeah, Wild Gather is like a very potent vessel to um, come kick it at and listen to the podcast or come to a knowledge share. Um, And you know, I'm always, I'm always lurking in and out of reality and hidden life. So you'll, you'll be able to find me, especially if you like to lurk you'll find me there. Yeah. Again, I, I just, I want to keep talking, um, but I also want to respect your time. So maybe you and Shabina can come and next time we talk, we'll talk the three of us. Cause I know you're also involved with seeds, oil and spirit, which we will talk about next time. <laughs> but in, in the meantime, I really appreciate your guidance on how to have the most perfect day. I really feel like that could be a title for this episode. You just teaching us how to have the most perfect day on our knees with our knees to the earth in humility and real ass bitchness. Um, I've just enjoyed this time so much. Thank you so very much. As a goodbye, if you were to cast a spell on our listeners, what would it be? Ooh, you're just going Scorpio deep here. Wow, wow, wow. Um, my casting of a spell to the listeners would be a place where we could all gather with food and the drink of our choice and um, be in love together and be in community together and dance and laugh and make love, make love in all of the ways. Um, yeah. So may that prayer be. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mandana. It's been a real genuine pleasure. Thank you again. I hope to talk to you again very soon. Yeah. So sweet to be here with y'all. And blessed fucking be. <laughs> <laughs> You must be a witch. The Missing Witches podcast is created by Risa Dickens and Amy Torak with insight and support from the coven at patreon.com slash missingwitches. Amy and Risa are the co-authors of Missing Witches, Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic, which is available now wherever you get your books or audiobooks. And of New Moon Magic, 13 anti-capitalist tools for resistance and re-enchantment coming fall 2023.